This morning, we're going to be looking in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. I'm not going to get there for a little bit, but if you want to look in your Bibles or flip there on your phone, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you in a seat in front of you. Philippians 1, 12 to 26. And it's a long text, so I don't have the whole text up there, so you'll just have to sort of read along with me when I get there. Uh, but this morning, what we're looking at, um, and I wasn't here last week for the 31st, which would have been the perfect time to do sort of the New Year's message. But I, you know, I, and I know Ron did a great one. I listened to it, and it's online. You can go on the website if you missed it. And uh, it was a good message for the New Year's, looking back and looking forward. Um, but I felt kind of cheated out of not getting my New Year's message in. So this morning, you get my New Year's message now, okay? So what he said was good, and now I'm just adding to that, all right? So... I get my New Year's message. And it's, and it's just that time of year when you sort of naturally start to look back and look forward. It, New Year's is when we sort of think about how have we lived in the past, this last year, and, and what changes do we want to make and how do we want to live going forward or do we want to make some changes? And so New Year's, we kind of naturally reflect what is our purpose? What, what are we living for? Why are we doing what we're doing? And is what we're doing bringing us the satisfaction and the freedom and the joy uh, that we feel that we should have, and God has created us for joy. And so is how we're living doing that. Now, as Christians or as believers living in this world, in the, in the present day, the thought is that freedom and joy must logically come from being able to pursue our joy and our comfort and our satisfaction however we please. If you try to limit how I pursue my satisfaction, then you are impinging on my freedom. And so we have the culture that we see today. Everybody living their life in their own way, the way they want to do it, and nobody tell me I'm wrong, or you are restricting my pursuit of joy. And if anybody tries to tell me differently, then my freedom and my 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 comfort and my satisfaction in my purpose is being restricted. But it's kind of weird that that's the way we think that we should pursue our joy because we don't actually pursue or think about the purpose of things other than ourselves or humans like that for anything else when you think about it. right? And this is what I mean. I, I used to watch Top Gear. And Top Gear was on the BBC. It was a BBC show. It was the, the largest car show in the world, biggest car show in the world. And there's these three guys on the show... They're, I mean, three British knuckleheads, really. And uh, and they do almost nothing except drive exotic cars on amazing roads and tracks all over the world. And whenever a new Lamborghini or a Ferrari or a Bugatti was rolled out, these reviewers, they never said, you know, this Bugatti really has let us down in hill climbing, you know, or sawing logs into planks. I mean, we put a four-foot log through the front seats and it didn't cut it down into planks. It didn't even cut it in half. I mean, they never talk about that in terms of the purpose of the Bugatti, right? They're never disappointed in the limitations of that car because they know the purpose of that car is one thing. Drive as fast as you possibly can on whatever road you are on. It might have two purposes. Make every other man insanely envious that you are driving a Bugatti, right? But... But when we think about objects, we understand their purpose. They are designed for a purpose. And we don't think that some the purpose of an object or the purpose of a thing is somehow limited because it's accomplishing its purpose. The greatest joy and satisfaction in a Bugatti is driving it as fast as you can on the Nuremberg Ring. That's what it's designed for. And it's not just things. It's everything. When you think of a fish, 
The greatest joy and satisfaction in a fish is because it can swim and it can breathe underwater. A fish does not say, oh, I'm restricted in my joy and my satisfaction because I can't leave the water. I'm at, the, the purpose of a fish is to swim and to swim fast and swim beautifully. And if you take a fish out of water, its purpose is lost. Take a fish and put it on the dock and ask it whether it feels more joy and freedom in its purpose by being on the dock. It does not. Right? It's the same with birds. Birds have their greatest purpose and their greatest joy and their greatest satisfaction in flying. We don't think of a bird to put it underwater and ask it whether now it feels more free in pursuing its joy. Because things are created for a purpose. And we don't, we don't think of anything else, whether it's cars or tools or birds or fish or animals, we don't think of anything else as being limited in pursuing its purpose when it's restricted to what it was designed or created for. But when we think about ourselves, or the culture does at least, we think we don't care what we were created for. We want to pursue whatever purpose we want and nobody should limit me. And anything that limits my choice of purpose is frustrating me. But what we have to understand is that we were created with a purpose. And that as we approach this new year, we reflect back on our lives or we think about how we're going forward. You might be at that point in your life. You might be a young person who's coming out of high school or you might be somebody who is maybe switching over in a career, or you might be a long time in a career and wondering why you're doing what you're doing, or you might have been pursuing a goal and it's not arriving, and you really have to stop and reflect, am I doing what I was created for? What is my purpose? And so there's two kinds of ways in which we can understand choosing a purpose. And the world has one way, and the Bible says there's another way. There's two ways to choose how to live. The first way is to live to discover and embrace God's plan for your created purpose, which I will say is to know God and to make God known to others. And then in the other camp in the world, you have people who say they deny the creator, that there is no creator that made you for any purpose, and so you are just an evolutionary accident, and so you can just pick your own purpose, and whatever purpose in life you want to pick to pursue, you just hope that it makes you happy. And so we have these two ways that you can decide what your purpose is or pursue your purpose. So how could we test these two views? I think like any good comparative sort of test is we, we test them in the lab of real life. How do they measure up? How in an actual lived out life does choosing your own purpose compare to discovering the eternal purpose that God has for you? How, does, how do these two solutions to finding purpose survive when they encounter reality? Well, the Apostle Paul actually gives us a good example of this in this book of Philippians. Paul, in this book, says, Imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to your example. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Paul, and we're going to keep our eyes on him as one who walks as our example. And we can look at Paul's circumstances and his responses as a test of the Creator's purpose that he found in his life of knowing God and making God known to others, and compare it to situations in our life where we choose our own purpose or set our own goals. And so we're looking at Philippians 1, 12 to 26, and I'm just going to pray before we open up God's word. Father, this morning, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up your scriptures to us. Your Holy Spirit wrote this with the intent to transform us. And so that's what I pray for this morning, that Holy Spirit power to make these words more than just ink on a page or dots on a screen, but to make them living and active in our lives that they can change our hearts and cause us to consider how you would have us live. 
and your purpose for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's, I'm just going to read through this whole sort of snapshot and then we'll break it down in three pieces because I'm a pastor and we do things in threes. Uh, Philippians 1, 12 to 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. All right, I'll just give you a quick background. Paul, an apostle, he's on a missionary journey. He's traveling from city to city. His goal is to make God known to people. He's preaching in all the cities that he goes to, stays for several months or a couple of years in some cases. And during this time, there's people that hate him, and he's actually been imprisoned. And so the circumstances that Paul is talking about now is his imprisonment, uh, and he's writing this letter from prison. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the other brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak. The word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have an example cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That's a long text. That's a lot for me to bite off in one take, but we're going to do it all. So with Paul in mind then, let's consider how these two ways of choosing our purpose survive an encounter with real life in, in Paul's life and then some examples perhaps from some of our lives. How do they work to sustain our satisfaction in these three situations? In the face of changing circumstances, in our relationships with other people, and in providing meaning and comfort to our life when we face death. Those three ways. And so the first one is, how would choosing your purpose face life in terms of changing circumstances? One thing we know about life is that circumstances change, right? Life is rarely steady and unchanging. Life is variable. Things happen to us outside of our control all the time. So if our circumstances change, how do these ways of choosing our purpose survive? The first test is, if let's say if we create our own purpose. If we create our own purpose, then our joy and satisfaction is also easily changed with our circumstances. So you can imagine if, if you set as your purpose in life to succeed in sport, and you are going to be the greatest athlete in your chosen sport, then what happens when you get injured? Now your life purpose suddenly ceases and becomes impossible, right? Or you see some of these guys who have built their whole life around a particular sport, their whole career around engaging in sport, and then as they grow older, they become weaker and weaker in that sport. One of the most exciting and also painful things that I watched was Peyton Manning winning his final game, which was the Super Bowl. And Peyton Manning should win the Super Bowl because he is the second greatest quarterback of all time next to Tom Brady, there you go, okay? I admit it. 
But he was old and slow and could barely get the ball downfield anymore. He was still an amazing general, calling the right plays, doing the right things, organizing the offense. But to see Peyton Manning winning the Super Bowl was sort of bittersweet because you knew this was going to be the last game of his career no matter what. He could not play anymore. And then you have those guys that just hang on too long and it's just sad to, it's just like stop playing, okay? Like just get out of there. You, you can't do it anymore. You've retired twice now. You've come out of retirement. Just quit, right? But that's the thing. You, you choose a life purpose and you set your purpose on it and then it, circumstances change and you lose your purpose. And some of these guys, they just collapse after careers like that. You know, they turn to alcohol or to drugs. Not everybody, but they lose purpose and they have to find a new one. Or maybe you make business or success your purpose. What happens when the market crashes, when the company folds? I mean, how many brokers just stepped off ledges in the economic crash of the 80s and then again in the economic crash of the early 2000s? All of their millions in paper value just evaporated out, but their millions in lifestyle debt didn't disappear. And so they just quit. Or even if your purpose is family, seems like a good purpose. You know, your purpose is in raising your family and your children, but what happens when your kids don't turn out the way you hoped? When your family isn't as picture perfect as you strived for, you invest all your purpose in family, or in business, or in sports, or in anything. If you decide that what your purpose is for yourself, then when the circumstances change, your joy and your satisfaction are at risk. But if you have a God-given purpose to know God and make him known, then no circumstances shake that purpose. And this is what we see in Paul's life. He says in verse 12, I, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul says, my, my circumstances don't impact my purpose. God has a purpose for me, and regardless of my circumstances, my purpose remains unchanged. He's writing this from jail. And Paul's mission was to travel from city to city, spreading the word of the gospel. And so if Paul had in his mind that he had decided that his purpose was to become a famous preacher and that his purpose was to accomplish this missionary journey of however many cities in however many years, then he would be destroyed in accomplishing that purpose if he was in jail. But he knows that's not really his purpose. His purpose is simply to make Christ known. Prison is the last place you would think Paul would want to be if that's his purpose being locked down and not allowed to see people. But it doesn't depend on his circumstance. Whatever happens to Paul, his purpose stays the same. To know God and make him known, whether he can travel or not, whether life is on his terms or not, his purpose is linked to God's purpose and cannot fail in the face of circumstances. And so Paul says, okay, if this is where I am, then this is where I make God known. And he says, almost the whole imperial guard knows why I'm here. And they have a chance to hear the gospel and know God. Secondly, how do these two ways of, of finding purpose compare in our relationship to others? Because that's the other reality of life. As we go through life, our circumstances are going to change. But secondly, we've got to relate to other people. I mean, our purpose has to stand in the face of relationships with others around us. And if I choose by myself what my purpose is, then my joy and my satisfaction are at risk by the success of others that have the same purpose. And, and we see this, if we're honest with ourselves, even in very small things in our life. If you're in a group of people, you know, you're at a party and there's five or six people around you and, and you're telling jokes, right? You're the funny guy, right? You're the entertainer. It's kind of your purpose to be the, you know, the popular one. You, you want to be the social popular person. But then another guy comes along and he starts telling funnier jokes and everybody's laughing at his jokes, 
Right? And you're sitting there in the group going, yeah, whatever. Not all that great. It was all right. Right? You just want him to go away. You want this guy to leave. You want this guy gone. Because his purpose is impacting your purpose. We can't both be the funniest guy, okay? One of us has got to go. Right? And, and so when you set in your, if your purpose is to be popular, or your purpose is to be liked, or your purpose is to be that funny person, or that enjoyable person, or that entertainer, then whenever you encounter other people that have the same purpose, then, then their purpose in life impacts your joy and your satisfaction and your success and your purpose. And you end up hating that person. You end up begrudging them their success because that impinges on your purpose. Or you, or you set your purpose to hold a certain position or to achieve a certain something at work. And then someone gets hired who's better qualified than you. And right now you have seniority and maybe they're a rank below you, but you know they're better qualified and they are probably going to take your job or may get the promotion ahead of you. And so if your purpose is to have that promotion or have that position, then you instinctively resent anybody who challenges you for that. And so this purpose, by choosing it of ourselves, immediately puts us in conflict with other people that we have relationship with. We don't want them to succeed because their success ruins our satisfaction and joy and freedom in our purpose that we want. If you create your own source of meaning, then everyone else seeking that same purpose impacts you. But if you embrace God's purpose, to know God and to make him known, then the success of others brings you joy because you're all on the same team with the same goal. And that's what happens with Paul here again as we look at Paul's life. Look how he responds to this situation where he's in jail. And he says in verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Okay, so here's the situation. Paul is stuck in prison, okay? And he sees a couple of big encouragements coming out of it for other preachers. His, the first one is his willingness to be brave and preach in these cities, even though it's going to get him jailed, has added to the confidence of other preachers. Okay, so that's his first encouragement. And guys, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Because you get this. Because if guys are out together and they're water skiing or they're jet skiing or they're like jumping off cliffs or whatever, if another guy does a jump, then you are morally obligated to attempt that jump yourself. Okay? Right? If another guy does something dangerous, you have to do something more dangerous. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, my imprisonment has actually encouraged other preachers because they've saw me get thrown in jail. And they're saying, if Paul's going to preach so hard that he gets thrown in jail, I'm going to go preach twice as hard. I'm going to get thrown in a worse jail than Paul. Right? And so Paul's excited because he's, his boldness has brought boldness to others. And he's encouraged by their success. But then the other part of it, too, that he talks about is other guys are preaching just to try to upset Paul. It's like, finally, Paul is off the scene. That guy was taking all the best teaching gigs, right? And they're out there and they're preaching kind of in spite of Paul to make him envious and saying, you're stuck in jail and I've got all your big seminars. I've got all your big engagements and venues. And Paul says, I don't care. As long as you're preaching Christ, I'm thrilled, right? I, I understand that you're doing it because you think you want to be a super apostle or you want to compete with me. It doesn't matter that I'm in jail and you're doing it, as long as Christ is being preached, I'm happy. 
And so in his relationships with others, with his purpose, you see, by having God's purpose, Paul is not upset by the success of others. It doesn't matter whether they get the biggest venues. It doesn't matter whether they preach more than him or better than him or get thrown in a worse jail or suffer better than him. Paul is just happy that Christ is being proclaimed because his purpose is that God be known and he sees God being known. So Paul getting arrested has encouraged people and it encourages him. So if your purpose in life is linked to God's purpose, to know God and make God known, then you rejoice like Paul no matter who makes it successful. I mean, one of the great things I discovered when I came to Halliburton was our our local ministerial group of churches. So many churches of different denominations, but all led by gospel-believing and preaching pastors. We had an Anglican minister who preached the gospel, a United Church minister who preaches the gospel, you know, Pentecostal ministers preaching the gospel, Baptists, community churches, doesn't matter, all preaching the gospel. When I get together with those guys and girls, I can, I can pray with them and know that they are preaching the gospel. And that was incredibly encouraging. We don't care here in Halliburton where you go to church as long as you're hearing the gospel preached. And it's great to work with alongside ministers like that. We're not worried about who succeeds. We're only worried that the name of Christ is lifted up and glorified. And we can work together in that purpose. And so when your purpose is in God, the success of others doesn't steal your joy or your satisfaction. And now the third way, we're asking ourselves, how do these two ways of getting your purpose, choosing it yourself or learning it from your creator, how do those methods hamper the weight of our joy and freedom and desire? The third way is how do these two kinds of purposes give us comfort and hope in the face of death? Because life is going to change circumstances and your purpose has to survive changing circumstances. Relationships, you're going to be engaged in relationships with people in your life and your purpose has to survive those encounters with people and not be destroyed by them. And thirdly, there's two things guaranteed in life, right? Death and taxes. And death is going to come. And so your purpose in life especially has to survive the end. You can go and read basically the entire book of Ecclesiastes and get King Solomon's view on this. As he looks back on his life as King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's looking at all the wisdom that he accumulated and all of the things that he did under the sun. In other words, all the world's wisdom, all the world's purposes, all the things that the world has to offer, King Solomon did them all. He was the richest, wisest, most powerful king of Jerusalem. And he says, I did it all. I built buildings and cities and I had concubines and there was no pleasure that I denied myself and I traveled and I did this and I did that and it was all meaningless under the sun. You can go and read Ecclesiastes and just get a picture of what the worldly wisdom can give you and what a worldly purpose can give you at the end of your life. But if we look to create If we look towards created and finite things for our purpose, they cannot survive death. What is created cannot satisfy the creator. What is finite cannot satisfy like the infinite. What is temporary cannot bear the burden of satisfying what is ultimate, our eternal soul. And so again, we can look to the example of the Apostle Paul, and Paul is considering in this little section that we're looking at, and while he's in prison and while other people are preaching where he's supposed to be preaching, He's also facing his own death because death is a very real reality for Christians under Roman government. And he's facing the end of his own life. And he has to very practically now apply his purpose to facing his death. And so how does he take his purpose and apply it to his life and death? In verse 20, he says, It is my eager expectation and hope 
that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so Paul discovered that the more his life is set on Jesus with expectation and hope, the more content and satisfaction he has with either life or death. He's saying, man, I would love to die and go and be with Jesus, because how great would that be? Man, like, let's just, come on, do it. And then on the other hand, he's saying, but, uh, but if I stay, that means fruitful ministry with you, and it's for your benefit. So here he has his purpose in his life, and he says, I, I could die and be joyful and content, or I could live and be joyful and content. His purpose, by his purpose being in God, it doesn't matter. He can face death or life in either circumstance. But if you create your own meaning for life, then death ultimately crushes it. Death is the end of your purpose. Whatever you have chosen in this world under the sun to pursue for your purpose, death is the end of it, no matter what you do. But if your purpose is in God, then death is not the end, because Jesus Christ faced death. And death swallowed him up at first, but then three days later, he rose and conquered death. He crushed death for us. Christ has made death a doorway to continuing our purpose of knowing God for eternity. And so if you embrace God's purpose for your life, then when you encounter death, not as the end, but as the beginning. So let's apply these examples then of Paul to our own lives to discover our purpose. There's something fascinating happening with Paul. His circumstances of his life are a mess. He's in prison. He's had his missionary journey halted. He's no longer able to travel and preach and do all the things that he thought he was supposedly called to do. There are other people that are advancing in popularity and succeeding in the mission that was meant for him. And he is under the threat of death and he fully anticipates that he may die. And yet, because Paul's purpose does not come from himself, or from the world, but rather he has discovered the purpose that has been given to him by his creator, like a Bugatti, or a Ferrari, or a bird, or a fish. Then when his life encounters hard circumstances, Paul knows exactly what he was made for. Paul knows exactly what his purpose is. When he is faced with the success of others in the face of his restrictions, when he faces even death itself, his satisfaction and joy are unchanged because his life purpose is in Christ. And so when we embrace our created purpose, it's not a restriction. It's not a limitation. It is not a restraint of your freedom. When we embrace our created purpose, rather, we discover our greatest freedom and satisfaction and comfort, freedom in circumstances, satisfaction in relationships with others, comfort even in the face of death. It's kind of as if Paul has the world in checkmate, right? I don't know how many people play chess, but the goal of chess is to position your pieces in such a way that no matter what your opponent does, they will ultimately lose. And as Paul embraces his purpose, Paul is victorious no matter what. People come to him and say, Paul, you are really succeeding in this missionary purpose of you, yours. We're going to throw you in jail and put an end to that. And Paul says, great. That traveling was not my real purpose anyway. God will work out my purpose in these new circumstances. All you guards are going to come to know Jesus. Right? And they say, okay, Paul, 
We're going to have all your colleagues take over your old job. They're going to have all the success that was meant for you. And Paul says, are they preaching Christ? Fantastic. I'm fine with that. No problem. And then they say, okay, Paul, fine, we're going to kill you. And Paul says, great, that's fine. If I die, I go to be with Christ. What's wrong with that? They say, okay, fine then, Paul. We're not going to kill you. We're going to let you live. You say, okay, that's great. Then that means I have more great kingdom work to do. doesn't matter. And they're like, what is up with this guy? We throw him in jail. We let him go. He fails. Other people succeed. We say we're going to kill him. We say we're not going to kill him. It doesn't matter. He's happy no matter what. Paul has the world in checkmate because he's discovered his his purpose. They just look and they shake their head because nothing beats him. There are no circumstances in life. There are no actions of others in life, no relationships. Not even the threat of death impacts his joy and satisfaction because Paul has found his purpose not from himself but from his creator. He's living in the purpose that he was created for, that all of us were created for, to know God and to make God known. And so whatever else we're doing in our life, we must remember that our purpose is always to know God and to make God known to others. And so as we take these first few days in this new year to reflect on what it is we're living for, how we've lived, how we want to live, and how we can live in freedom and satisfaction and joy, because maybe you're here today and what you've been trying is not working and you are wondering why you're frustrated. Why are you envious of other people? Why are you frustrated when your circumstances change? Why is your joy and satisfaction and comfort always seem to be robbed from you when you cannot succeed in what you have chosen to do? Set your purpose and your life firmly on the eternal. Link the purpose of your life to the purpose God has for us all, which is to know him and make him known, to glorify God, to make him known to others for his glory. That is the purpose for which we were created for. Just like a bird, just like a fish, just like a Bugatti. When you discover your created purpose, it is not a restriction on your freedom. It is a release to the freedom to fully enjoy and embrace what you were made for. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. And thank you for the example of Paul as he said, imitate me as I, even as I imitate Christ. Or imitate me and those that follow you and know how to live. And so, Paul, so Father, we just ask that by your Holy Spirit, this lesson from Paul's life, this example of his imprisonment, that no matter what circumstances came at him in life. Discovering his purpose in you stood the test of all of them. And we can know that for ourselves too. That we can know that if we find our purpose in the eternal, that if we find our purpose in you, to be known by you, to know you, and to make you known, then it doesn't matter what happens. It will stand the test of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.